So much for getting back on schedule, huh? Hello, this is your host, Wolfman27, and welcome back to the Fantasy Loners League bi-weekly podcast. Alright, obviously I'm kidding, there's no plan to actually make this a bi-weekly podcast, but somehow we're again in the same position as we were in our last episode with two weeks to cover, and we're already into the start of another one. I do have some plans on adjusting to my new busy schedule, including Phonet suggestion you made in chat of doing power rankings a week later. So an example in this episode, I'm covering weeks three and four, but I'm only going to do the week three power rankings. Then the next episode will be for week five, but I'll do the week four power rankings and so on. So not only does this change allow me to record before I receive the power rankings from the worst manager, but it also gives that worst manager more time to make their power rankings at their own leisure. And while we're talking about this exciting administrative stuff for the league, I did want to bring up the keeper rules. So a while back, we had a discussion about keeper rules in the chat at length, and I drafted some updates to those rules. I posted them for review, and uh, I mean, no one complained about it, so I'm going to go ahead and fully implement those updates. They're rule number two and rule number seven in the pinned keeper rules post in chat so you can view it in all of its detail there and if you have any questions make sure you let me know pretty much the change that's being made is that any player that's been kept for two consecutive years by the same team will not be able to be traded after the in-season trade deadline passes so if that player is kept two years in a row and not traded before the trade deadline That means the player will automatically re-enter the draft pool for the following season. So once the regular season ends, I'm going to force drop the players that meet this criteria from their team to avoid any kind of confusion. Currently, the only players that meet this criteria are Delvin Cook on Aaron T4's team, AJ Brown on Coy's 302's team, Lamar Jackson on Adam Jeffries' team, Kareem Hunt on Wolfman 27's team, Alvin Kamara on Phonet's team, and Derek Henry on Sibley the Best team. So if any of the players I just listed remain on that same team after the season's trade deadline, they will not be eligible to be kept for the 2022 season, and they will automatically re-enter the normal drafting pool. Okay, now that that's covered, let's just head right into the good stuff this week and take a look at our Week 3 Power Rankings. Koi's 302 is so disappointed in himself for not putting in as much effort as he would have liked for his week one power rankings that he went ahead and became the worst manager for the second time in three weeks to make it up to us. Koi's was in an airport with endless amounts of time and possibly alcohol, so he made sure to give us his best effort. Without further ado, here are the week three... Rankings. Enjoy the power rankings. Since I didn't actually rank the teams last time, figured I should at least attempt to this time. Enjoy my little blurbs plus a nice haiku for each team. There will be typos in here. I will probably be rude at some points. So enjoy the ride, boys, and any girls who may listen to this. At number 12, Aaron T. 4. 
Um, so the good here. Josh Allen and Dalvin Cook are studs, and Chase has had a historic first couple weeks. The bad here is, well, almost everything else. AJ Green slash Gronk would have been an amazing combo to have four years ago, but sure as hell not now. Yes, yes, I know Gronk has been incredible these first few weeks, but one, I don't think that pace is super sustainable. Two, he's already banged up. And three, Brady slash Gronk just care about rings at this point. They've come out and said it. I see Gronk resting more and more as the year goes on to remain healthy for the playoffs. A-Rob's another player I own in a lot of leagues and has been sad so far. Fields getting a shot at QB certainly hasn't helped, but Dalton hasn't force-fed him the ball as much as I hoped. Mike Davis is okay, but Corderell has taken a lot of the work away from him. Having to start Green, Connor, and Beasley is rough no matter how you spin it, especially since it's not like anyone is hurt on his bench who would usually slide in. Oh no, this poor team. In last place for a reason. No hope over here. Number 11 is JDGG. I feel like most teams with Cup have probably greatly outperformed expectations this year. Some nice value to be had in the draft relative to how he's performed so far. You get Cup and hit on your first, second, and third round picks, you're probably in great shape. Then there's JDGG. Super nice guy. Great guy to have in the league. So I feel bad saying this, but good God is this team not very good. To give JDGG some credit, he lost ETN before the year started. Although I thought ETN was being way overdrafted before the injury anyways. But Zeke and CEH are two of the most frustrating running backs to own. In theory, they should both be incredible, but neither are. Zeke is washed, and I just don't think CEH is very talented. The receivers aren't great. Deontay Johnson's nice, but OBJ and Moore aren't really people to be relied on week in and week out. Darnold is a fine QB, but won't win you any matchups. Knox and Tanyan are super TD-dependent bottom-tier tight ends, and that bench depth is dreadful. Injuries were rough, but so was that awful draft. Better luck next year. At number 10, we have J-Mart. To start the year, I'm pretty sure I ranked this team last in the preseason. In hindsight, that may have been harsh. This probably isn't the worst team in the league, but I still don't think it's great. Chubb and Lamb are studs, and Montgomery can probably be thrown in that category too. But Chark being out for the year hurts. Oof, that injury. Godwin is super unreliable, too many mouths to feed in that offense, and Atlanta's horrible and Pitts is a rookie, so I think he'll have an okay, albeit very streaky rookie year. Fournette's washed, Waddle isn't good, Wilson, Gordon, St. Brown are waste of roster spots. I, I love Moss, that's some great RB depth on the bench, but there's not a lot going on here. Hey J-Mart, my man. Sorry for ranking you last. Hope 10th makes you pleased. Number 9 is J.M. Pincus. This team makes me sad because I have the Taylor-Sanders running back combo in my home league and it's been dreadful. So I feel J.M. Pincus' pain here. He has the least points scored and is 2-4, but I really think this team isn't bad. I think, or maybe it's just me hoping, but I think Taylor should be back to a running back one form and rush for over 1,000 yards again despite the Colts being trash. Sanders may be a lost cause, but one can dream. They realize they have a good RB, although game scripts hurt him as well because the Eagles suck. 
Jefferson, Lockett, Sutton are a good wide receiver trio. I like Robbie Anderson and Tyson Williams as flex plays. Andrews is a top five tight end, and the bench is dreadful as well, but maybe Hardman can be semi-serviceable, and Sermon may grow into a role as the year goes on. But he's looked horrible so far, and I don't even think he looked good in college, so could be a bust. This team is on thin ice and really needs every single player to stay healthy all year. Bye weeks will be a struggle as well. But this isn't the worst team in the league and, dare I say, might be halfway decent? Sanders and Taylor. The saddest RB combo. Pour one out for them. Number 8, Adam Jeffrey. 6-0 with the most points scored, but like, are we sure this team is actually good? Jacobs, paired with Gordon slash Edmonds, is an okay RB duo, while the receivers have been very good thus far. Especially nice surprises from Samuel and Williams. I'm just not sure how sustainable that production is. It's been a very good three-week stretch for Adam Jeffrey, but it feels a bit fluky. I come up against this roster come playoff time, and I feel pretty confident in a win if Metcalf and Kelsey don't go off for 40 apiece. Holy fuck, 481 points though, that's a lot through three weeks. Nice start to the year. 3-0, should be proud, but this may be the peak. Number 7, Koi's 302. For some reason, I, Koi's, thought it would be best to draft only players born in SEC states. In hindsight, was that a good move? Probably not. But needed a challenge after last year, you know. And it's a free league, so might as well mess around a little. It's funny because I don't really think this team's bad. Henderson, Jones, and Harris are good RB core. Julio Jones, Evans, and AJ Brown is a solid wide receiver core, albeit too reliant on the Titans probably. Higby isn't bad, but also isn't good. Emmanuel Sanders is a solid flex every week. And Drake and Parker are fine bench spots. I'm also in the weird place where it's fucking hard to add people because the majority of free agent pickups sadly don't fit the roster makeup of my team. Missing out on Corderell was rough though, and I still dream of him on my team every night. So like, is this team bad? No. Is this team good? Maybe. I don't know. Apparently, I have decent depth though since I keep getting worse manager. Let's chant SEC. Is this team good? Is it bad? I really don't know. Number six, Fisher Sports. Fisher Sports. My top ranked team in the preseason. I think so at least. Could be wrong. My memory is shit. I really don't know what to make of it now. Is Saquon good or will he ever be healthy? Will CMC ever be healthy? I love Ridley and Claypool, so like in theory this team should be good, but as much as I like Corey Davis preseason, the Jets look so bad it's hard to imagine him being consistent. I own many Galladay shares because he kept going so late, but he's been meh at best so far. Is Elijah Mitchell going to still be counted upon by Shani in two weeks? Could be Hasty leading that backfield for all we know. I don't know. A lot of questions here now. The team could be good. Really, really good if things break Fisher's way. But this could be a team we look back and wonder how it missed playoffs because they never put it together. Good. Tier 1 nicknames. Bad. Unclear if this team's good. Ugly. Those bench spots. Number 5. No sleep tonight. I think I had this ranked in my top 3 teams to start the year and despite being in 8th right now, I still like it. Mixon, Swift, Diggs, Woods, Waller are all studs in theory. 
However, Woods is disappointed so far, leading to rumors of, is Matthew Stafford a racist for only throwing to Cup? Carr continues to force-feed Waller the ball on just about every play. When Waller isn't getting the ball, you know it's scrappy little Hunter Renfro, who No Sleep also owns, who is making the catches. I love Carr this year, so Waller and Renfro are higher on my list as well. Marquise Brown is worse hands than Tom Brady, which is a tough look for the squad, and Kirk isn't really anything to be relied on any given week. The bench is fine, though. Singletary's decent RB depth, Fuller and Watkins are okay for wide receiver depth. Not bad for having lost Mostert early on. Diggs, Swift, Woods, Waller. This team should make the playoffs. First round loss awaits. Number 4, Sibley the best. Henry and Eckler is a scary fucking duo. I love Juju and Boyd as well as your top wide receivers. James Robinson also has good value if Urban stops being a dumbass and actually runs him. Hyde being inactive last game is a good sign for that. Going into this year, I had a severe man crush on Logan Thomas, and although losing Fitz hurts, I think he's still going to be good. Outside of that, depth is poor, no one on the bench I would be comfortable starting, and I don't feel amazing with Mooney, Bears suck, and Pollard in the starting lineup. Dear Sibley the Best, why roster three QBs, drop two, and get some depth? Phonet comes in at number three. I look at the first four guys in that starting lineup, Mahomes, Kamara, Harris, and Hill, and all four of the ability to win a matchup by scoring 40 plus on their own. That alone is scary as fuck. I'm not really sure what to make of the rest of the roster. Ayuk and Kittle should be good, but will they? I don't know. Kittle gets injured more than a 5th grader trying to skip gym class. Ayuk apparently fucked Shani's wife or something because goddamn is he in the doghouse. I love Tim Patrick, Chenault should be good, and Gesicki provides some nice depth during Kittle's yearly injury. All in all, a solid team, albeit top-heavy team. Mahomes, Kamara, Harris Hill, oh my, need that. Depth to be good though. Jambrosa slots in at number two. I have now gone through the top four teams in the standings. Disclaimer, I went to the bottom of the standings writing blurbs and then ranked teams after. Does anyone have real depth? Maybe I'm just being an asshole, but it feels like all benches are kind of crap. But if this is what I think of the top teams, God help the lower teams. In hindsight, some lower teams benches were fine. Ignoring the previous sentences, I do like this team. Gibson's a stud. Williams should continue to gain a role as the year goes on. Adams, Cooper, and Hopkins is a scary trio, and Hawk as a tight end is good. Shepard, Myers, Ruggs, and Cephas actually give some very good wide receiver depth, but the RB depth is rough. If either starter gets hurt, watch out. Love the team, though, if everyone's healthy. Each year like clockwork. I look at this man's team and can't help but love it. Number one is Wolfman27. This roster is sexy. Good for you. I feel like I always end up liking Wolfman's rosters as well. This one's no exception. I've had a man crush on Cooks for years. Hunt and Carson are always underrated but great value. DJ Moore, Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen are studs. Gaskin has struggled because apparently Malcolm Brown needs carries, but I still have hope for him and talent should win out. That tight end situation is, um, how should I put this lightly? Not good. 
I'm in Vegas at the moment and just checked the sports books and the over-under for points scored by Wolfman's tight end any given week is 2.1 points. Not great. Bench is fine. At least there's some nice RB depth there. Corderell's a stud. JD McKissick and Naeem Hines are solid. If Judy comes back and is okay, I think this may be the best team in the league. Congrats. I think your team is the best in the league. This could be the year. Well, thank you, Kois, not only for an incredible set of power rankings, but also for the 100% accurate description of my team. It's about time someone acknowledges how great I am. Anyway, since we're talking about where teams are ranked anyways, let's review how the standings have changed the past two weeks and which way teams are trending. We have quite a few teams that have hit rough times recently. We'll start with Aaron T4, where things have only gotten worse from when we last spoke. In week three, he lost a nail-biter of a game and then to add insult to injury, literally. His team had some unfortunate injuries. He also fell just short of the median, resulting in two losses on the week, and then things got even worse in week four when the team choked its way to a measly 94.6 points, resulting in another two losses. With a current record of 1-7, and seven, it seems bleak. But this team could have just as easily been 3-5. and five. If Delvin Cook can make a full recovery and new additions to the team come through, this team could still turn it around with a few good games. Things have been rough for Jam Pincus too, who now has a 3-5 record. It's been a tough, underwhelming two weeks for our former runner-up with a low-scoring loss in Week 3 and low-scoring win in Week 4, resulting in a 1-3 record for the past two weeks. The team's loaded with talent, but can't seem to fire on all cylinders at the same time yet. The Eagles hate Miles Sanders, Tyler Lockett's only allowed to be relevant once every five weeks, and the Colts refuse to use Jonathan Taylor to his full potential. That being said, any one of these players can blow up any given week and lead this team to a win and a quick turnaround. I have a feeling J.M. Pincus won't be in this position for long. Now, poor No Sleep Tonight has had a bit of a slide after a strong start to the season. Stefan Diggs, Robert Woods, Ryan Tannehill, none of them have quite lived up to expectations yet, and now Joe Mixon is on his annual injury break. This all results in a 3-5 record after two straight losses under the median score. Not to jinx him, but Robert... Woods looks good in week 5. Maybe things are looking up. Just being optimistic, definitely not a jinx. Now, one of the league favorites going into the season was Jam Brosa with his endless wide receiver talent, and he delivered in weeks 1 and 2. But things quickly changed with two lackluster games in a row, dropping him to a 3-5 and five record. This led to a big trade to try and get back on track. But we're going to get to that later on in the episode. On a different note, JDGG was 0-4 after the first two weeks, but completely turned it around to bring himself to a 3-5 record. After a convincing victory over No Sleep in Week 3 to net two victories, he came up 0.78 shorts of a second victory in a row in Week 4 and instead had to settle for the third highest score and a victory over the median. So what's caused the sudden turn of events? Well, for one, Clyde has actually started doing something, so that's a big factor. But the team also had OBJ and Deontay Johnson return from injuries, picked up a hot tight end in Dawson Knox, and Zeke's been on a tear. Don't let the Weeks 1 and 2 version of JDGG fool you, this team's here to play. Now let's take a look at our former champion, aka two-time worst manager of the season, Koi's 302. He's been able to win games, which is good, but his team has struggled to hit the median. In fact, in the first four weeks he's only been able to beat the median once. So the head-to-head wins have come in clutch to have him sitting here with a 4-4 record. The irony is beautiful here, considering Coys is the one that proposed the new median rule. 
So the question on everyone's mind is, why has this team struggled to score over 120 points on a weekly basis? After all, they are all from SEC states, shouldn't they be blowing the roof off of this league? And you'd be right to be concerned. But I believe this is all strategy so that we underestimate Coys, and he'll take advantage of this and pull out wins when we least expect it. For now, the median is our best friend to hold him at bay. Anyways, that takes us through the first six teams in our league, and before we get to the next six teams, the trades, and the waiver pickups, we're going to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsors. Stay tuned. Struggling to meet projections in fantasy football this season? Oh man, I just keep losing! Don't worry, you aren't alone. You mean other people started Mark Ingram over Corderell Patterson too? Uh, maybe not that bad. But many of us suffer from fantasy football underachievement. Fear not, Best Pill is here for you. Best Pill ensures you will make the correct lineup decisions on game day so you will no longer have to fear ending up dubbed worst manager. Ask your doctor about Best Pill today. Don't take Best Pill if you suffer from high blood pressure of watching your football team play. If your fantasy football production lasts longer than four quarters, contact Sleeper HQ because it's probably a glitch. Possible side effects include waking up in the middle of the night to pee or thinking Fisher Sports trade offers actually aren't that bad. If you suffer from accepting rapid-fire trade offers that include lowly bench players, Best Pill may not be for you. Okay, anyways, on that note, let's talk about Fisher Sports. After beating the median but losing the head-to-head matchup two weeks in a row, things got even worse in week three when he lost both and fell to two and four, thanks to a CMC injury and a run-in with a super positive team. Luckily for our little tradesman, he traded his way to a double victory in week four with a healthy CMC on his way back to improve on that current four and four record. Don't let this ranking in the standings deceive you. This is the same villain we all ranked as the best team going into the season. Don't fall for his tricks. Speaking of tricks, what in the world is going on with my team? The perennial scorer of 120 points or fewer is now coming off of two games in a row with over 140 points scored for a 4-0 record in the past two weeks. That leaves me with a 5-3 record. Maybe Kois was right. Maybe my team's actually good this year. Or maybe it's all a mirage and I could come crashing back to reality with a loss against Aaron T4 this week. Only time will tell. But for now, I will enjoy the ride with my lovely wide receivers and motley crew of misfit running backs. In week three, Sibley not only eked out a victory over Aaron T4, but also just barely eked out a victory over the median. It was a close call, but 2-0 on the week, still 2-0. He followed that up with a huge performance by Derrick Henry and Austin Eckler against Fisher Sports, but unfortunately came up just short of a win in the head-to-head matchup, but at least got the victory over the median to get himself to 5-3. Sibley's had some very unfortunate injuries this season, but hopefully the monster performances by his running backs will continue in order to carry him even further into the season. Now let's talk about two teams at once. Jmart05 and Adam Jeffrey. Adam Jeffrey notoriously has kept a positive mindset in place this season, and it paid off to great dividends, getting him to 6-0 through the first three weeks of the season. Jmart, meanwhile, has quietly put up successful game totals each of those weeks as well, but couldn't quite get wins over the median and his opponent at the same time, which landed him with a 3-3 record. Well, here's where things get interesting. These two teams did battle in Week 4, and Jmart's team finally pulled his act together and was not only able to vanquish the last undefeated team in the league, but also took down the median with it, vaulting him to a 5-3 record. It did come with the price, however, as Montgomery went down with an injury, so it'll be interesting to see how this team adapts and if it can keep the ball rolling. 
On the other side, Adam Jeffrey may fall to 6-2, but this one can probably be written off as a down week. After all, he's already off to a frightening start in week 5, and you could say I'm positive he will continue his dominance down the stretch. That leaves us with Fonette, who's now tied with Adam Jeffrey for first place with a 6-2 record. Fonette's been on fire these past two weeks, getting the highest scores of both weeks 3 and week 4, and absolutely demolishing poor Jambrosa in no sleep in the process. The team may look top-heavy, but rest assured, the top part of this team is incredibly heavy. The Mahomes and Tyreek Stack could win a game by themselves any week, let alone Najee Harris getting 69 targets a game at running back. Oh, and he has Kamara too. And now he faces off against his longtime rival Sibley in Week 5, which should be a fun one to watch. So there you have it. A lot can change in the two weeks of matchups that I didn't record a podcast for, and I'm sure even more will change by the next episode, which hopefully won't take as long to finish. Before we go, let's dig into the transactions that occurred in weeks three and four, starting with waivers. In week three, we saw Jambrosa overpay yet again for another Vikings player, giving up $21 for Tyler Conklin, whose only competition was a bid by Fisher Sports for $0. So far, Conklin's only worked out for week three, but we shall see if he surprises us in the future. Josh Gordon was reinstated, and Jmart scooped him up for $20. I don't see Gordon being a factor at all. Uh, behind Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, the Chiefs' wide receivers are just a carousel. But it's me, and I'm always wrong, so be prepared for Gordon to be awesome. Then we had Patriots fans doing what they do best, adding Patriots players. Sibley added Kendrick Bourne for $14, and Jim Brosa grabbed Ramondre Stevenson for 6 Another key pickup this week was Titan Dalton Schultz to Fisher Sports for $0. Stupid tradesman. Going on to week four, we had another bidding war after Montgomery's injury. I was able to grab Damian Williams for $32, edging out bids of $30, $23, and $21 by J.M. Pincus, Fonet, and Jambrosa, respectively. Time will tell if Williams will actually be effective in the starting role on a gross Bears team, but he will fit right in with my unconventional running back crew. The only other interesting ads were Randall Cobb going to Fonet for $7, Van Jefferson to Jambrosa for 4 Alex Collins to Adam Jeffrey for 3 oh, and of course, Daryl Williams going to No Sleep Tonight for $13 with no other bidders involved, to which he immediately expressed regret. Hopefully he didn't lose too much sleep over it. Yes, I know, this joke is tired. Okay, okay, I'll stop now. Alright, let's move on to the fun transactions. The trades. Maybe she's not the trade of the season. What if I'm the trade of the season? (sighs) Now, I told you all last episode to not trade with Fisher, and what do you do? You all trade with Fisher Sports. But I digress. First up, we had Fisher and Fonette, where Fisher was desperate to ensure Christian McCaffrey after an injury. So, Fonette sent him Chuba Hubbard and Noah Fant, and in exchange received George Kittle and Zach Pascal. So I think Fonet gets even stronger here, as I believe Kittle is a clear upgrade over Fant, even if he has been somewhat disappointing so far this season. But this is not a gigantic loss to Fisher, because he gets to secure the Panthers' backfield, and it's not like Fant is a chump. He's actually been pretty good this year. So the trade makes sense, but long term, I give the edge to Fonet. After that, we had a huge three-way trade between Jambrosa, Fisher Sports, and Aaron T4. Remember that deadly trio of wide receivers Jambrosa had with Hopkins, Amari Cooper, and Devontae Adams? Well, they are no longer, as Jambrosa decided things were not going the direction they wanted to after a back-to-back 0-2 weeks. 
Jambrosa shipped out DeAndre Hopkins, Amari Cooper, and Henry Ruggs, and in return received Calvin Ridley, Allen Robinson, and Kenny Galladay. It's definitely a risky trade here, and it was made even riskier after finding out Calvin Ridley is missing Week 5 due to an undisclosed personal issue. Look, I like Calvin Ridley. I get that he hasn't lived up to the draft capital yet, but the targets and air yards are there. It's unfortunate he's going to end up missing this first week on Jambrose's team, but I do think Ridley will be a force to be reckoned with this season. The question is, though, will he actually be better than Hopkins? Hopkins is coming off two down weeks, but I think it can mostly be attributed to him playing through an injury. He may not have as many targets as Ridley per game so far, but he has still received a healthy amount each game this season, and he's on a better offense. Then you look at Amari Cooper versus Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay. Cooper's also had a couple down weeks in a row after a stellar week one, but similar to Hopkins, he gets opportunities in a high-powered offense. However, I do get the fear here. Cooper isn't really the picture of consistency, and he has had five or fewer targets in each of the last three games in a row. Compare that to Allen Robinson, who had been pretty consistent throughout his career. Keyword is had been. He's been horrendous so far this season because the Bears are doing Bears things. Maybe he can turn it around, though, with Fields as the starting quarterback. And Galladay's been okay. The nagging injury history is the most frightening thing with him here. So, basically, Jambrosa is banking on a turnaround for both Ridley and Robinson and opting for their consistency over players he deems as less reliable. Now, let's go to Fisher's side of the trade, where he gave up Calvin Ridley, Kenny Galladay, and Chase Claypool so he could get DeAndre Hopkins and Amari Cooper. Other than what I've already talked about when going through Jambrosa's side of the trade, the main takeaway here for Fisher is he has now established a stack of his own in Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, hoping it can maybe match up to his self-proclaimed best friend Fonette's stack of Mahomes and Tyree Kill. I like the trade for Fisher. He's clearly trying to maximize the upside of his starting lineup as much as possible. And lastly, in the trade, we had Aaron T. Four, who gave up Allen Robinson and in return got Chase Claypool and Henry Ruggs. If you told me this before the season began, I would have thought Aaron T. Four was taking crazy pills. But Robinson is a big reason why this team struggled so much to start the season. At least picking up Chase Claypool and Henry Ruggs offers some sort of upside in being possible keeper values, whereas Robinson hasn't shown us much at all so far. Alright, enough on that trade though, let's move on to the final blockbuster trade of the week between myself and Adam Jeffrey, where I gave up JD McKissick for Alex Collins. I know, I know, a lot to unpack here. Honestly though, there wasn't much to this trade. Adam Jeffrey sent it to me right before the Seahawks game on Thursday, and I accepted since I kept getting the reports about Carson's neck injury, I figured I might as well insure him since I don't have that many reliable running backs and I already have multiple guys that give me the same type of value as McKissick does. On Adam Jeffrey's side of things, he also doesn't have a ton of depth at running back, so I like the pickup for him. McKissick's been a viable option, much to Jambrosa and Antonio Gibson's chagrin, and with Logan Thomas hurt, it's possibly sees more passing work. So will this trade have a huge impact? Probably not, but we had to cover it anyways. And there you have it, folks. We're once again caught up on all of our action, and I am hoping, <laughs> for real this time, to be back on track next week. To make up for the waits, I actually took some time and took a page out of JDGG's book, and I put together a playlist for you guys. The Loners League soundtrack. I'm going to share it in the chat, but essentially, it's, well, literally, it's a playlist of every single intro song we've had on the podcast since season one, episode one. 
most of them at least, some of the songs weren't actually available on Spotify. On that note, hope you all enjoyed this episode. Have a good week five, and hopefully I'll be back here as soon as next week.